F Files Radio. Exploring feminism and technology through space and time. My name is Hannah Zadie. I've worked in regulatory strategy from everyone from the big five banks to early stage startups. I'm currently the director of regulatory R&D at Wealthsimple, and I've supported the launch of new products since 2019. So um, think our challenger bank offering, our crypto product, our P2P uh, product, think like Venmo in the US. And um, outside of Wealthsimple, I also work with early stage fintechs and help them go to market and uh, spend a lot of time doing talks on like open banking and payment modernization and financial inclusion. Okay, so I don't want to discredit any of the listeners, but I can speak for myself that I am not extremely well-versed uh, in the area of finance or fintech, financial technology, but I know enough to know that it's important, which is why I'm so happy to talk to you. Uh, so I wonder if you can just give kind of like a, a really brief, like beginner intro to the world of fintech. Yeah, for sure. Um, so fintech stands for financial technology, and it's a really broad topic that goes beyond startups and tech. It's really existed since financial services have existed, but. I think most of us, when we think fintech, we think about like the venture capital based like tech companies. And so I'm going to talk about, you know, and focus on like fintechs as tech companies that provide financial services. So like startups, they come at like various stages of maturity and the same verticals that exist in financial services like payments, lending, wealth management, everyday banking um, exist in the fintech world as well. And so the difference, you know, like I mentioned earlier, is really like the delivery of those experiences. So really successful fintechs operate more like tech companies than banks um, in how quickly they move, the fo focus on user experience, the focus on using like latest technologies. But the flip side is fintechs usually have a number of limitations and dependencies because they're not licensed, usually not licensed institutions where they have their own bank charter um, or they own the books for something. In some cases they do, in some cases they don't, it really depends. But I think when we think about the fintech space now, you know, the most talked about and most funded fintech startups are designed to be a threat to challenge and eventually like replace entrenched traditional financial services by providing like more nimble services that are either serving an underserved segment or providing faster or better service. Similar to like what Uber did for transportation and logistics, the more interesting fintechs have solutions to problems you didn't know you had, but now can't live without. So, well, okay. So the the fintech companies work with the banks, but they're also trying to replace the banks. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a little interesting actually because you don't have your own licenses to do things like for example if you're not a bank you can't do certain banking activities like take deposits yourself you usually have to have like an underlying bank partner to help enable that so it's a really interesting dance that fintechs have to make and and really the value prop 
for most of them is focusing less on like the pipes of how things work and more around like how do we provide value to our users and like the user experience and the design and sort of getting more creative rather than like here are these basic like financial service products. So what excites you in particular about this intersection between finance and technology? Yeah, I think that there's probably the most interesting innovation right, and amount of like venture capital dollars that are being poured into the fintech, the fintech space right now. Um, the, you know, there's two trends that are happening at the same time uh, at the moment. I, I'd say like 2021 is the year of the fintech and because of COVID, you know, financial service digitization has hyper accelerated that. And so... You know, there's two things that are happening and I'll, I'll try to simplify the concepts as, as much as possible. But, you know, every, every everyday users are seeing this and they just don't really realize it's happening. But um, there's this concept that's happening called embedded finance, where um, we're seeing financial services products actually embedded in products that we wouldn't actually associate with financial services. So. Um, you know, give you an example, Shopify has done a really good job at embedding financial service products within their ecosystem. So you have something called like shop pay where users can like, you know, input their like payment details and, and be able to like seamlessly buy products or their merchants can access like lending products that are built based on their projected sales and other sort of criteria that a typical bank wouldn't actually used to determine or underwrite a loan. So you, we're going to see this more and more with big tech companies like Amazon and Google that have a lot of data on us. And um, unlike traditional financial institutions, they actually know how to use that data really well um, and potentially create products that are useful and maybe do other things with it. And so we're going to less and less start to think about financial service products as like, I go to the bank and I do this thing. And more and more, it's going to be embedded in like different experiences that we have, whether you're a gamer and you're, um, a, you know, you're, you're buying an NFT or you're buying something like in product, like what that experience looks like to facilitate the payment or transaction is going to look really seamless. Um, and it already is starting to. So that's embedded finance. And then the other piece of it, which is kind of related, is this thing called the unbundling of financial services. And it's not so much happening in Canada yet, but we're seeing this in like the US and the UK where um, banks, especially like certain size of banks, are realizing that they don't have to own the customer relationship all the time. Some of them are struggling to reach customers, especially in the age of digitization. Maybe they don't have a great digital offering. So they're like, you know what? Why don't we just like supply the pipes and we're going to work with a bunch of fintechs and just like provide, you know, that infrastructure. They provide the user experience and we're really in the background. So, you know, without getting into too much detail, like there's, you're still a bank customer, but you're not actually like directly interfacing with that financial institution anymore. You actually have like a fintech that's sitting in the middle that's providing that user experience that's getting those clients. And then it's still helping these like financial institutions that may have been struggling in the past. So, you know, it's a really interesting trend that we're seeing in other markets. 
um, that I'd hope to see in, in Canada at some point as well. But we do have some challenges to work through before we can do that. And is that because the market in Canada is is more regulated than in, in other countries? So there's two things. Actually, our, our regulatory environment in Canada is probably 15 to 20 years behind our peer country. So um, other markets like in the US, the UK, Australia, countries in APAC, um, they've uh, really sort of invested and, and have a bit more forward thinking around like innovation. So interestingly enough in Canada, um, fintechs are actually asking for more regulation when it comes to financial services. Uh, and, and when I say more regulation, I mean more around how do we level the playing field so fintechs have more access to some of the things that I talked about earlier, um, rather than relying on their bank partners, because, you know, there's there's some challenges there. The other piece of it is, um, you know, we're a really small market. Uh, we don't have the same sort of competitive and innovation drivers that are happening in our market. Like, for example, you know, in the U.S., I mentioned, like, um, they have a ton of smaller regional banks and credit unions and a variety of financial services. Um, there's a big enough market for, you know, different players to assume different types of roles and have different strategy. Um, in Canada, we have like 93% of assets are concentrated in the big six banks versus in the U.S. you have only 44% of assets that are concentrated. Basically, what, what that means is the need for sort of competition and sort of these drivers that we're looking at that are happening in other markets, they're just not there in Canada. And so, you know, part of it is we have to create it. And the other part of it is there's like a regulatory sort of gap that exists in the Canadian market. And that's some of the things that I talk about and spend a lot of time on like open banking and payment modernization and crypto asset regulation and, and all of these things. Like, again, it's weird because we're asking for regulation. Normally you don't have an industry that's asking for regulation. So can you speak a little bit about what is open banking and maybe how this relates to other kind of trends in uh, finance and currency? Sure. So for those that aren't familiar with what open banking is, the principle behind open banking is that you as a consumer decide how and when and with whom you share your financial data. So right now, banks control um, your financial data, even when you give express consent to allow the bank to release your info to a company like a fintech, like Wealth Simple, for example. The bank is actually right now within their right to choose not to do so. So I can tell you from firsthand experience when it comes to making better products and making them available for everyone, um, the lack of access to data is one of our biggest hindrances. So when you have less competition and innovation, you actually end up with a financial system that has some of the highest fees in the developed world. But if we had a system that was really easy to compare prices and features and fees, it was easy to switch services with a tap of a button, then you know traditional financial institutions would really have to compete for your business. Uh, okay, fair. So it's kind of this is the way a lot of things work in Canada. No, like airplanes yeah. and telecommunications. 
It, exactly. And unfortunately, we do have some challenges around uh, competition in like, you know, a number of the industries. And, and unfortunately, Canadians end up having to pay a lot more for services that, you know, in other markets, people are pay- paying like a fraction of. So. Okay. So when you talk about things like open banking or, you know, giving apps essentially or, you know, tech startups um, access to your kind of financial data, obviously there are some concerns there. Personally, I don't even have a banking app on my phone because I'm like, well, if I lose my phone, they can just get onto my onto my bank account and just doesn't seem secure. So yeah, what about people who are worried about their data, about security? How was this addressed in the fintech sector? Yeah, really, really good question. So what's really interesting right now is the industry, you know, largely the incumbents have already taken the position that things like open banking is here. Canadians are already using open banking-like tools. And um, the reality is right now, um, consumers are actually using unsafe screen scraping tools that are made to appear like, you know, when they log into these platforms, they're actually logging into their online banking site, uh, but they're not. They're actually logging into third-party tools and then they share their financial data with these third parties. So right now, um, you know, if, if people do it, data sharing is being done in an unsafe and unregulated way. And in some instances, that actually might violate your terms and conditions of your bank account agreement. Because like I mentioned earlier, at the moment, with the way the rules are written, banks actually own your data. You don't have, as a consumer, the ability to own your data and direct it and share it with who you want and how you want. So like this really sort of makeshift scrappy way in which your data is being obtained at the same time there's a lot of fear mongering around like privacy and cybersecurity dangers for consumers and allowing like fintechs to participate on a level playing field um you know that would potentially be mandated if the government were to introduce like an actual open banking framework but i would argue that an, a mandated framework which actually outlines you know what the consumer's rights are and what the standards are in which this data is shared would actually put the consumer in their driver's seat they would actually be able to control how and with whom their data is shared be able to revoke access at any time so there's explicit consent you know who you're sharing your data with at what point in time and if you would decide i no longer want to share my data you should actually be able to revoke that access and that person or that entity should no longer have access to your information so it actually set the terms and conditions required around privacy and cybersecurity and force existing banks to actually improve their infrastructure in the process as well we've seen a lot of instances where you know there's been leaks there's been issues there's been you know misplacement and of course like it's it's a you know i'm not blaming anyone in particular it's a really challenging issue but um there's very little recourse for consumers right now and so you know a framework would also set out the penalties in revoking access in the event that there's a failure to meet these requirements and so right now we're actually in a way worse position without a framework than we are um, with one and so the good thing is that um, just two weeks ago the open banking advisory committee released their recommendations where they recognized this as a prevalent issue in Canada. And, you know, there's recommendations on how to fix it, which I'm in agreement with. The challenge is we actually have to get around to like implementing this. And I think 
you know, we need to do this sooner rather than later because fintech is just growing. You know, banks are also diversifying their um, offerings. And so consumer data is still at risk until we actually have a framework in place. What are your predictions, visions, dreams for the future of personal finance, uh, banking, uh, investments, kind of the future? What is the future of, of money? Yeah, I think uh, super challenging question to answer because it depends on like who you're asking and where they are, right? Because like it's not an equal experience, you know, across the world. Um, and so I think for Canada specifically, there's a lot what you know is missing when it comes to like modernizing financial services. And you know, I spoke to a lot about regulation. So you know, fintechs and other players have like a level playing field with banks to innovate. And so, you know, let's just focus on open banking for a second. You know, like I talked about earlier, uh, things like open banking uh, in the way we see it in other markets uh, don't exist. Um, and so companies are able to focus on user experience and value add uh, products and you're in control of your data. So let me give you a practical example. Imagine if you're paying for your phone bill and two months in a row, it's higher than expected. So imagine if you were prompted on the spot to be able to seamlessly switch over to another phone provider for the same specifications of your plan at a cheaper rate and get an overall better deal. Or even better, if you indicated to your financial services provider that after three months, if I have a high phone bill, I automatically want to be switched to another phone company. This is like a very small example of the massive realm of possibilities that we could have, uh, but we actually need to lay the groundwork for that innovation. And the thing is, Canadians don't even know what they're missing out on. Wow, I love that. Yeah, it really puts the agency in the hands of the consumer because I definitely, yeah, don't feel that at all <laughs> right now. You know, if my phone bill is super high, I just have to, you know, I can talk to someone on the phone for two hours and try and get them to bring it down. But if they don't want to, ultimately, yeah, I could cancel it and then shop around. I guess like the way that the data doesn't work both ways. We don't have access yeah. to all of the same information that these corporations have. Exactly. So and so the idea is to become really smart with data and exactly like you said, give consumers that agency. Like that's the future of finance. And now the use cases and the possibilities are endless, right? But we actually need to have the tools in place to be able to do that. Right now we don't. Wow, cool. I wonder how regular people um, who maybe don't really identify as investors or necessarily uh, tech savvy people can start to dip their toes in this changing landscape yeah i'm gonna do a shameless plug um because i'm at wealth simple and uh i think one of the reasons actually why i joined the company was because we do a pretty good job at educating consumers around the risk of investing their money or and how they sort of use their money and the core philosophy still at the company is um, there's no quick way to get rich 
Like, you know, you have things like crypto, you have things like direct investing um, and these other sort of financial instruments. But at the end of the day, there's no quick way of, of getting rich. And really, you know, the best way to do it is to, to get rich slowly through maybe passive investing or a managed portfolio or a savings account or et cetera. And so, you know, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time focusing on is um, if you look at our self-directed trading platform, Wild Simple Trade, we've actually intentionally designed it in a way to discourage day trading. It's a very simple user experience. And, you know, people complain that it's not as robust as other trading platforms, but that's actually by design. Um, it's because we still think that people should have the ability and the opportunity to do pick and choose the equities they want to invest in but also know that there is a significant amount of risk in, in doing so. And we took the same sort of approach and thinking with our crypto trading platform, which is something that I was involved in. It's still the first and only securities regulated crypto trading platform in Canada. And what that essentially means is, um, you know, there's a ton of data and paper trails and people who work for the government ensuring that you're you know, paying the true market price, that your crypto is safe when you buy it. And generally speaking, there's nothing shady going on. We're subject to the same regulatory oversight as using a, a, a stock trading platform in some ways. So we try to make it as simple, like all our products to get involved. And this is really important, especially in the crypto space, because, you know, for those that follow, know that there's been a lot of shady platforms that have lost people's money, a lot of money, and we're still sort of reeling from uh, figuring out how to, you know, make consumers whole. A lot of times they won't be. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we did what we did. And we, we try to keep our products really simple in doing so. Again, we need more sort of, we need more fintechs and more innovation, even from the incumbents and in financial services and making financial services simple and not hide behind, you know, terms and conditions and fine print, I should say. So consumers actually understand what they're signing up for and how this benefits them and, you know, not have to pay a ton of fees for really basic services, right? I think one of the challenges we see across, you know, the world, but it's especially apparent in, uh, in North America and in Canada in particular, where you are putting a ton of your money at the bank, you get next to nothing in terms of an interest rate, and then you get fees charged on top of it to hold your money. Like it sounds, if you really think about it, it's kind of ridiculous. And, and I think we're seeing that change, uh, you know, as we rethink our, our relationship with what is adding value to us. And again, going back to having consumer agency. Awesome. Okay, so would you say this model of the like big dusty old bank is kind of over, um, or it's something that will be be over eventually? <laughs> uh, I don't think banks are going anywhere, especially in Canada. Um, the, one of the biggest employers in Canada, you know, outside of the public sector, is financial services banks. Um, I've worked at them. You know, there's a lot of value in the things that they do. I think what's going to change over time is uh, where they sit in the value chain and how they provide their services and how they get customer relationships and what does that look like. I think we're just going to see new players and sort of a change in relationships, but I don't think 
banks are going anywhere anytime soon. And they are an integral part of our economy and and, um, our day-to-day lives. It's definitely a place for them. I'm really happy to speak with you. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. I'm inspired. I try to make this as simple as possible and accessible to everyday people. It's hard though. For uh, sure. In the space for so long, yeah. Because that's yeah the thing about both money and technology. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's there's like (laughs) barriers. There's you know it's gatekeeping, right? Like a lot of people in a lot of communities don't feel like they have access to this information or like where to even start. So yeah, happy to help. Yeah, or just like, that. oh, that's not for me. You know, like this is yeah, for, yeah, yeah, for yeah, people who have yeah. lots of money and understand technology. Yeah. And then I'm yeah. kind of like, I realize this is something- You're that, missing out. Yeah. Like it really is for you. And, um, you know, you will you will benefit, your family will benefit. Your, and money impacts everyone, right? So Exactly. Yeah. Can't escape it. I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am rich, I am that bitch I am gonna go get that bag and I am not gonna take your shit I am protected, well respected, I'm a queen, I'm a dream I do what I wanna do and I'm who I wanna be Cause I am me, bitch that's why BT, yo man got his eye on me But I DC, cause I'm flyers, bees, that's bzz, bzz, I hit streets, bitch I drive no keys, that's screw, Don't lie on me, body right, don't need no word, word, word Can't compete. Mm? I like green. Money stay high like trees. Mm? I can see. Wanna be just like me? Mm? I can be. You better not think shit sweet. Mm? Yeah, I got your bitch. Yeah, yeah. I get them big bags. Yeah, kind of the flip. Yeah, yeah. Look how the whip match. Yeah, convertible top do cartwheels. Booty so soft it's all real. Cause I mean real good like Garfield.
everything that you wanna hear. Tell yourself that you that bitch and make that clear. Never stressing, never lacking, got no fears. Ain't got no fear.